This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde and Raw Milk. I've been uh, talking about it a little bit on the show. Well, we've got the experts and the producers on. We've got Lauren Gibbs, who's a raw milk supplier, and his father-in-law, who works with him, Daryl Anderson. And they're going to tell us what we need to know about raw milk. They're in the Bay of Plenty. They've got a farm called The Good Farm, which is just the best name for a farm. I'm amazed it wasn't already taken, just calling it The Good Farm. How cool is that? And into everything healthy, including raw milk. So I'm going to start with you, Lauren. What is raw milk? Right. So essentially raw milk is um, milk that hasn't been um, played around with. Um, All we do is put it through a paper filter, similar to a coffee filter um, style, and we chill it down and put it into a a refrigerated unit, and that's it. We don't pasteurise it. We don't homogenise it. We don't muck around with it at all. So w- when you buy milk from the supermarket, it's been pasteurised, and that's a heat treatment, right? Yeah. And that gets rid of bugs in the milk. Yeah, so it does. It kills uh, – pasteurisation kills bacteria, good okay. and bad. It just it, – it essentially sanitises the, the milk. So it becomes an ert. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, and, and the ho- homogenization, that's just where they shake it up. Um, in, its, in its simplest form, yeah. They, from my understanding, is that it's um, mixed until the, the particles, the fat particles in the milk become so fine that they stay blended together or stay. Mm. Um, was uh, emulsified with the milk mm. so that it doesn't separate. Mm. Okay. And um, when you – I should declare my hand. I'm a raw milk fanatic, um, so I'm sort of trying to play dumb a wee bit because I just uh, uh, a great um, booster uh, for raw milk uh, for two reasons. Uh, well, three. One is it's extremely tasty, and I just – we got raw milk the first time 10 years ago and I hadn't drunk milk for my entire adult life. And when I drank this, a glass of this raw milk, it was the most beautiful drink. And I was back in my childhood. It was so beautiful. And you get the cream on the top. The second reason I love it is because it's so much healthier because you're getting the good bugs um, that have 200 million years of evolution have delivered to us through mammary glands. And the third reason I love it is that the authorities are so against it. Like, it's been horrific. So that's by way of background um, to the raw milk. Now, your milk comes straight out of the car, you run it through a paper filter and presumably end up putting it in a bottle or a container of some sort and selling it. Um, so we we have a dispensing unit. So yes. um, 
it goes into a little vat that is wheeled into a um, refrigerated dispensing unit um, yes. and people come to the farm with their own bottles or they okay. can purchase a bottle at the farm and fill it up themselves and that's the way that because we are MPI registered um, that's yep. the way that we um, are allowed to sell the milk. So um, you don't deliver the milk or ship the milk Anyone wanting your milk needs to come to your place and get yep. the milk. Yep. Is that a condition of getting the registration? Uh, yes, more or less. Um, there are other options available. You are allowed to deliver the milk as long as you're delivering it to the door of okay. the person buying it. Yep. Um, so we can't deliver it to a shop for them to sell it on to somebody okay. else. Um and I mean, for for us, as in a business sense, it's a lot more work to travel around dropping yes. off milk to all these other places. Where, yeah. as at the moment, we can sell most, of, if not all, of the milk through our little shop. So it makes yeah. a lot more sense to try and get people to come to our shop to buy the milk rather than traipse it around the country. And how did you get into the raw milk business? Um. We were, my wife and I had just moved back from Australia and living with her parents um, in Welcome Bay. And I think you guys were buying the milk already, weren't you? Mm. They were buying so, the milk. Daryl, you were into raw milk already. Well, I come from um, a bit of a mixed background. So one of it was uh, part of my um, background was I was a dairy farmer back in the Waikato. And um, so when we moved over to the Bay of Plenty for other business reasons, uh, there was a raw milk dairy farm in existence down the road. And um, it came up for sale uh, about a year or so or so after we were here. And um, it was like, oh, that'd be real sad if it sold because we wouldn't be able to get raw milk, um, which because obviously as a dairy farmer, we had raw milk for 15 years, you mm. know, um, just out of the back. Um, and um, when my daughter and Lauren came back, as he was saying, from Melbourne, um, it came an opportunity to go, well, look, if, uh, is this something that you'd like to do? If uh, we um, purchased the, the property and um, and a trust and um, and worked it, uh, you, you could work it as the Good Farm Limited, and that's you know, a decision that we made as, as directors of the Good Farm uh, Limited together. Um, we would be able to continue this on as a service, not only for ourselves, obviously, but also for the community. Good and so we um, we managed to pull all the strings necessary that made that whole that whole transaction happen. And we were fortunate at the time. Um, there wasn't, I mean, you could imagine it's a little block just on the outskirts, right on the outskirts of Tauranga. So there's um, limited use um, that other people would see, you know, for doing raw milk there. So, you, you know, for example, if you're a big-time dairy farmer, milking 16 cows is not really your thing. No. And if you're looking for lifestyle block, you're not really looking to get up and milk cows and serve public all day either. No. So there was sort of a bit of a vacuum for who would be the sort of people that would really want to do this. And so we had a, we have a, a large community heart, I guess you put it that way, and um, so serving our community that way and working um, with the kids and the grandkids, you know, in a, um, a business um, and getting the raw milk ourselves was like it was a win-win-win the whole way. Mm. So, uh, so know, how long have you been in the business now? Uh, four years now. Four years. And are mm. you loving it? 
Uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's obviously a busy business because if you're just doing if you're a wholesale producer selling milk like as in Fonterra, um, you're not dealing with the public. So we yeah. not only have to produce that product, but we also then have you know the public interaction. Yeah. And so you can imagine um, everybody that arrives on the farm thinks that they might be the only person that day, so they need all of the attention that you could give them. Um, so, you know, you can uh, – we have people travel from Auckland, for example, following the Country Calendar episode, um, all the way from Auckland just to buy milk, just to have a look at the farm, pick up some eggs, and then they wanted a private tour, and then they'd head home again. Um, so you can, you can imagine if you multiply that by a lot of people that you have a lot of demands on a busy little um, shop like we have. Um, well, let's cover that off while we're here. You've been sort of <clears throat> in the news. You've been on Country Calendar. You've been on the radio. You've made the big time with Reality Check Radio now. So, you know, be <laughs> yeah. ready be ready for a million Aucklanders to arrive. <laughs> um, did you go out seeking that or did it come to you? No. It, um, so that, that kind of snowballed from – um, a local photographer, he was doing a book um, called For the Love of Country, and it's a coffee coffee table book um, mm-hmm. celebrating New Zealand farmers. Mm-hmm. And he lived just up the road, and he approached me one morning and said, look, I'm doing this book. Would you mind if I take some photos? And I, was, I had no problem with that, and it didn't seem like we'd get some good photos out of it and maybe be on somebody's coffee table. Um and that's sort of as far as I sort of thought about it. Um, and then it probably would have been a good six or eight months later, um, the book was finally finished and started uh, the, the the promotion of the book started happening. And as uh, uh, a promotion for the book, the editors or producers, whoever it was, they chose a segment from the book to use it as part of that promotion. Oh, wow, it just yeah, yeah. It, it just so happened to be our story. And so that's where it sort of started to build and we started getting other people taking an interest in what we were doing. And I believe that's where the folks at Country Calendar sort of picked up on this little place that wasn't just doing one thing. They were trying to do a whole range of little bits and pieces. And so then they approached us and said, you know, we'd love to do a story on you. Would that be all right? And it's sort of just built from there. Now, were you happy with what country? I'm apologize. I haven't seen it. And I went to your webpage and I saw the link and I never pushed it. And I apologize because I would like to see it. Were you happy with the country calendar finished product? Yeah. I mean, even even when we were talking with the the producer of of our show, um, the amount of content that she saw around. I think she said, you know, like you could do a mini series just on on what we're yeah. doing at the farm. So we they were trying to squeeze a lot of what we were doing mm-hmm. into twenty one minutes of of yeah. content, you know, like um so I think from from those if you take into account those factors, I think they did a really good job of of telling our story as good. a business as a whole. Good. Um without it being angled on on any sort of particular um, agenda or anything like that. I well, uh, it must be good if people are driving from Auckland for a bottle of milk. Yeah, yeah. Um, once you have a look at the show, you'll see that you know part of the makeup of the farm business is that we have a lot of school groups coming on on to the farm. So there's a lot of yes. education. Yes. Um, there's you know part of that is like native tree planting and and um, 
that sort of process. But there's also um, other groups that will come on, like the cruise ship tours coming into Tauranga this year and last year will come on and do do 30-minute tours from the boat. My um, goodness. So um, there could be hundreds of those booked by the looks of it this year coming onto the farm. So so there's, there's obviously the education, then the um, entertainment, I guess you might call it, but it is education for the cruise ship guys because they get to taste raw milk, they get to see the um, or taste the raw vegetables um, in our market garden. So there's the market garden side of it. Um, so, you know, there's a lot going on, which um, has, uh, there's a lot of stories in all of that. There is a lot of stories, and you're a very good businessman. Your son-in-law is lucky to have you. <laughs> well, you know, we also pay credit to the people that actually started the farm, yeah. you know, um, because they, they got the business going and um, got they built the cow shed and, and whatnot. And so, you know, there's credit there. Um, we're just really growing on it and expanding it. And um, we've got, you know, you know, more ideas, but you just need time and resources, obviously, you know, to expand on those. Previously, you were a dairy farmer supplying Fonterra. What's the big difference going from supplying Fonterra? We know the customer side of it to presumably you had a lot of cows. And I think you said you've got 16 now. So you dropped down to 16 cows. What's the main difference or the differences between being a dairy farmer supplying Fonterra and being a small herd supplying the local community with raw milk? Well, obviously, the biggest difference is that um, when you supply um, the likes of a Fonterra, they're not obviously the only wholesaler in New Zealand, but you're selling your product as a wholesaler. So, so you've got no, you can't determine where it goes, you can't determine the price, um, you can't determine the regulations around it. You're just you're a supplier. You have to abide by those regulations, and you get the price that you get at the end of the day. Mm. Whereas when we're being a raw milk um, supplier to the community, we obviously get to determine. Um, you know, the price we're obviously regulated through MPI, but we can do, um, we can do more in our way, I suppose. And I guess if you take that right back, we're doing it in a lot more, um, I suppose for us, we're doing it in a, in a more healthy sort of like whole way, I suppose, because we are right down to 16 cows, so it's not what you'd call a commercial. Uh, heard at all in any yes. stretch of the imagination. It's, it's not industrialized, it's no, not an yes. industrialized system, it's it, um, it's a it's a cow by cow. You know your cows. You're you're yeah. working with each cow every day. It's it's a bit like if you went right back to you know when um, herds uh, were milked by hand. You know yeah. there was like you had about eight cows. And you knew the cows. You knew the milk. The milk was healthy, and so you could drink drink the milk, and you wouldn't get sick. It was the industrial revolution which actually changed the why milk had to be pasteurised because the Industrial Revolution, you know, came about and um, they started feeding cows unhealthy byproducts, as in, like, from brewery, so, bar, you know, the sort of barley byproducts, which in their own right are not unhealthy. But when you just feed cows just those sort of products and then in the Industrial Revolution, you ended up with sick cows, which ends up with sick milk. So if you, if you sort of take it all the way back, I remember reading about how all this came about. Yeah. Because they used to, because they didn't have transportation, they had these big cities. Mm. They'd just walk the cows into town, tie them up. They'd poop everywhere, just tied up to a post. And they'd feed them rubbish, mm. never look after them, and pay urchins to sort of milk them. Yeah. Um, and the, there was no sanitary arrangements, whatever. And literally, Kids died from the bad milk. And Absolutely. Absolutely. The question, yeah. the question then was, as I understand it, 
whether to pasteurize the milk or whether to improve the sanitary conditions of the cows. That's right. And we yeah. went down the pasteurization route. Funnily enough, if my memory serves me right, it was the guy Macy from the Macy shop. He had retired with his money and um, he'd put all his money into getting this milk pasteurized. And um, we've ended up with pasteurized milk, um, which, again, correct me, as I understand it, milk is the only product on earth that nature has delivered for the sole purpose of nourishing mammals. Like everything else you're sort of stealing, honey you're stealing, meat you're stealing, vegetables you're sort of stealing, but milk is made by a mum to nourish her babies. And it's so cleverly designed that it's got everything that a, a growing infant needs. And it even has the bugs in it that help it digest it for our bodies. That's right. So when you start take, making changes to that whole product, then you start you know, potentially causing problems the way that we digest it and digestive issues and whatnot. You know, when they first, um, uh, when they before just on that pasteurization process, the milk was so bad that they used to add um, whitener to it, eggs to it, and plaster Paris to it, and then molasses to sweeten it so that people would actually drink it. So you could see why people were dying of it. You know, it was, it was pretty, pretty bad stuff. And if you look at it now, if you if you pasteurize milk now, you lose a whole lot of the goodness within it. Um, mm. Um, and uh, you know, there's pretty there's there's a lot of documentation around that um, as to what you lose in the pasteurization process. Um, obviously, the milk, you know, if it's pasteurized, is is, um, is sanitized if you want to put it that way. You know, so it's not going to um, harm you. You may have some digestive issues, but what you're not getting is the goodness out of it. And so, and, then, and of course, uh, there's a whole lot of people that can't drink milk; they get a cook guts but they can drink raw milk. That's right. Yeah. That's because the, you know, the enzymes are, are still available that break down. Um, oh, the yes. Mm. Because yeah, so, so, enzymes so, denature in the heating process. Mm. Yeah. So when, when you, when you pasteurize milk, um, what it does is it kills off all the bacteria and all the enzymes that um, good and bad, um, that uh, the enzymes especially that allow you to digest the milk mm. in your guts. And so what you end up having is a, a, a product that is actually full of dead bacteria because they don't take that out when they pasteurize it. Mm. So all that bacteria, good and bad, that gets killed is still in the milk. Mm. And so we, we did a little experiment um, at the farm and we put some bought milk from the shop in a jar and in the hot water cupboard and some of our milk in a jar in the hot water cupboard and left it for three days. And when we took the lid off our milk, it was yogurty and a little bit thick and it basically did started to go to yogurt. But when we took the lid off the, the bought milk, it was gone sort of an ashen gray color and it smelt rotten. And the reason behind that is because it is the, the dead bacteria in that milk was just rotting as opposed to, you know, a living bacteria that was changing it to, to a, um, a fermented product. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Mm. But so imagine what that's doing in, in your body when you I know. consume it. Mm. I know. 
but you know, to be fair, our bodies are pretty amazing. They do process pasteurized milk. You know, yes. You, what you're lack, you're just not getting the goodness out of it that you could. Yes. Um, you know, because over over the last hundred years, you know, we have processed you know uh, pasteurized milk as humans, mm. but we don't know what we're missing out on, do we? Essentially, well, our whole supply chains had that problem, hasn't it? When you look at bread and other products, it's like yeah. it's been industrialized, and we've thought of food as calories and nutrients rather than as something living um and that there's a lot more to it um and so we've just pounded out bread um pasteurized milk bang 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 and we wonder why we're having so many gut problems and even other uh stresses on kids and you're wondering how much of it relates to the food we don't know i got into this um through the Western A. Price Society and reading uh, mm. Western A. Price's book, which I found amazing. Now, yeah. my mother, God rest her soul, was absolutely mortified when I was giving our babies and our infants and our toddlers and our children raw milk. And the crazy thing about that is I can remember growing up on a, on a little you know farm like yours with half a dozen cows and drink getting the cream out of the can and loving it as a kid but what you realize we've had a hundred years of demonization of raw milk so there were advertisements in the newspapers don't drink raw milk pasteurize it yada mm. yada yada going back 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s Plunkett were absolutely fervent not to give your kids raw milk they'd get tuberculosis or something and die and my mother was convinced i was next to killing my children by giving them raw milk and i'm quite surprised that country calendar turned up non-skeptical hmm. well i guess there's there's um you know really good regulations and it takes it back to that pasteurization we do this sterilization if you like with the plant as opposed to doing it to the product. Yes. So we make sure the plant and the animal, the teats and everything are really clean. So the actual product's not sterilized, but the plant is, yes. you know, so there's good regulations around that. And so um, that makes it uneconomical because of the tightness of those regulations for, you know, some operators. We've, um, we've managed to, I guess, put um, a collection of uh, products together that make it um, like a destination. So essentially, you know, we want to sell whole foods, not only the whole food in terms of the raw milk, but the whole foods in terms of the market garden. So we have spray-free market garden. So we have a whole process there where people come out just for our, our again, I guess, healthy whole foods. So they're not they're not sprayed. We don't um, till the soil. Um, you know, we um, have a whole lot of sort of procedures which sort of bring the best, hopefully, the best out, the best mineral sort of content within our product for the consumer. And then we sell eggs and other bits and pieces like fruit and whatnot. And so, um, you know, we've managed to make the process actually work, I suppose, you know, in terms of a business. And I think that, you know, if um, more people could work on whole healthy foods, you know, as a an entire business um, or as an, an entire operation, then, you know, we as um, the community and consumers would be a whole lot healthier and better off um, as well. But looking at it at the moment as a businessman, would just having cows 
just producing raw milk, would you get a sufficient return to justify the effort required? I I think yes, we could continue. Yes, we could. Wow. Um, but um, we know that you know for people to travel because they have to come to the farm. Remember, we don't. You know, it's not yeah. in the. It's not. It's not convenient for them. So because they've got to go out of their way, and there's an inconvenience factor, then we need to make it um, more worthwhile for people to you know mm. to make the, make the trip. Yeah. And they come from far and wide. Um, we have people, you know, we're based in Tauranga, but we have people um, every week from Rotorua um, and and distances as far as that in the circle around us because we're the only only producer in the Bay of Plenty. There are other producers in the Waikato, but um, um, so people really want that whole food and um, they'll travel and they'll make that effort. So we just try and make it obviously worthwhile for them or more worthwhile. Now, how tough was it or did you inherit the license or how tough is it to keep the license to sell raw milk because my supplier did everything to comply produced beautiful milk um and got prosecuted when for legal reasons when his lawyer and mpi had all signed off on everything sort of five years later or something they came along and did him over because my understanding was MPI didn't look favorable, favorably upon raw milk suppliers. So how tough has that been and how reasonable has it been? Um, well, I mean, like, I, I don't know about your, your instance, but um, we, we, did, we took over the um, existing regulation that the previous owner had. Um, and in the early days when we were still figuring it all out and getting used to the the whole thing it, it was quite tough and we had a few um uh sort of uh, bacterial scares in the milk where something yeah. had come up in the testing so we have to test our milk um by regulation every 10 days for certain things yeah um and so we did in the early days we did have um a, a higher bacteria level then was acceptable um but not so bad that we had to you know um stop producing but we did have to stop selling the milk i think it ended up being for about 10 days until we could prove that there was um no continuing issue um so it, it was tough in the early days we've we've managed to get to a point where um we haven't had those issues for a while touch wood um but the and have you a relationship with the MPI people that are checking on you? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. Like, I mean, um, they uh, we we get audited every two years. MPI will come out and go through sort of all of our paperwork. We've got I've got a book of paperwork about fifteen centimeters thick that I have to fill out every every day, every week, every month. I've got different things that I have to fill out, so we'll go through that. Um, and while they're not, I don't think they are trying to close us down, but they're definitely very, very thorough because raw milk and bacteria just scares MPI. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you say bacteria, then all their little alarm bells go off and um, whether it's good or bad, you know, like it's it's just one of those things that... They um, want it sanitised and sterilised and pasteurised and yeah. homogenised and... I mean, at the, the end of the day, what it, what it appears to be is that, you know, they just don't want to be liable for anything. I mean, who well, wants to be liable for anyone uh, getting sick? 
they've got a big industry to protect too, haven't they? The yeah. whole dairy industry. Um, why is it that I would imagine with 16 cows, you could quite happily have regular customers who would take your entire production and just come each week or twice a week and pick up their milk for the coming days and leave you in peace. And that, because, I mean, that's how I've always done my raw milk. It wasn't something um, advertised or people visiting the farm, although you could. It was just a process by um, the same customers week in and week out. And yet you've got people coming in literally, you know, for the look uh, around the farm and a one-off. Um, is that a conscious decision that you've made? I don't think so. I think I think it's just actually what's um, developed and what's grown, you know, and obviously because of the promotion, it, it opens the doors for more people to be open to the idea of raw milk. And so we're not against that at all, you know, because it's obviously opening the eyes and ears and minds of people, you know, to... Because you could grow the market, right? Food solution. Yeah, totally. So we're totally not opposed to that at all. Um, I guess what we found is that... Um, because it's it's not a convenient product, you've got to drive to the farm to get it. You know, we have a, a huge range of customers, I guess, and some of them might be more regular than others. Some okay. might just go, well, it's just not regular. It's just not convenient for me this week, so they don't come. So having, you know, a large amount of customers that come for different reasons, some of them come um, obviously, you know, primarily for the likes of the, uh, our lettuce. We have a famous lettuce mix, um, or um, which Lauren puts together, so... Um, you know, people travel far and wide for that. And so, yeah, we have a large range of customers. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, interesting, a lot of them want to talk. They want to discuss um, the, low, you know, obviously the health benefits and food and whatnot, but also the current government regulations, you know, around a whole lot of issues. And so they just actually want to talk um, about this. And, and I think you, one, of the, one of the big things um, that we've sort of, come to understand i suppose over the last four years is had the importance of people knowing where their food comes from and who's producing it you know like with all the milk that um gets bought in the shop it comes from all over the country from so many different farms it gets standardized and you get a product that's the same um but you've got no idea about the people that produce it how it's produced um where it's come from all of that sort of stuff so when people come to our farm they can see most of the time they can see you know those are the cows and those are the cows that the milk's come from it's just those ones there this is the land that they've grazed and if they meet me then they they've met the person that's actually milked those cows that morning and can tell them what's been going on or you know they can see the ground in the in the vegetable garden where their veggies are coming from mm. um so it adds another layer of um community and and sense of um provenance i guess from of, of where food is going and how it's produced and you can start to explain to people you know like in winter it's harder to make milk it's harder to make vegetables grow in summer you get a lot uh, easier time and, and you know you, you might have a bit more milk going around or or whatever it is um so you, you can start to educate people because with this there's a real breakdown in our food system where people they don't even know what food grows seasonally anymore because you can get tomatoes year round you can get strawberries in the middle of winter you know, there's there's a breakdown in um seasonal you get, upset, eating. you get upset if you go into the supermarket and there aren't strawberries 
Exactly. You know, like and like that there's there's a real um disconnection of 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 healthy food production. And yeah, you can yeah, you can grow stuff. You can grow stuff all year round and you can grow stuff in um in dead dirt as long as you put the right chemicals in there to make stuff grow, but it doesn't mean that it's healthy, you know. Um Lauren, what were you doing before you were at dairy farming? Um I spent about 12 years in kitchens in New Zealand and Australia. So I was a chef for, um, yeah, about 12 years. So you know about good food? Yeah, but I suppose I do. I do. I know about good tasting food. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's certainly opened my eyes a bit more going down this path about the nutrition, I suppose, of good food as opposed mm. to just the good flavours. but. Mm they kind of go hand in hand. Mm. Um, you know, if if something has a, a really good flavour about it, then there's something else that's in it rather than just the base chemicals that make it grow. You know, like if you get something that's um, a full-bodied, full-tasting carrot, it's going to be a lot more nutritious for you than something that tastes like water and has yeah. had nothing put into it but... You know, and what about that. the lifestyle? I mean, you now have a completely different lifestyle. How? How? What were the key aspects of the lifestyle change for you from being a chef, presumably in a city, to being gumboots on and getting up and milking cows in the morning? Yeah, I mean, it's probably like the polar opposite. Yeah, um, you know, I came from a hundred hours a week um, working inside to and and not seeing my wife and then one-year-old boy to um now i'm working well i probably still work about arguably 40 50 60 hours depending on what's going on um but i'm home you know i'm, I'm there for nearly every single meal time instead of missing every single one i see the family all the time and i work outside in the in the sunshine and in the wind and the rain and the being it's, a chef must be extremely stressful. Yeah, it can be. But you kind of, I mean, yes, it is. <laughs> um, but you, you, you survive on adrenaline, I suppose. And yes. so it took, a, it took a couple of years for me to sort of get like, yeah. that, yeah, get that out of your system. That, and, you know, I might go out for, for a bite to eat in a restaurant and I'll still pick up on that adrenaline that you can feel just in the environment yeah. and you miss it a little bit, but no, I wouldn't go back to cooking in a restaurant. Well, you've had a big change too, because a lot of guys like leaving home and going to work, right? Because it gives them an outlet and they can do their manly thing. <laughs> but also you're living with your in-laws and not only sort of <laughs> living beside them, you're working with them. Yeah. Um, Obviously, that's quite tough. Um, it's actually been not as tough as some, as you would expect. I've okay. got to be careful here because you're sitting right beside. I know me. that's why I'm teasing <laughs> you. No, I mean we we couldn't we couldn't have done near as much as what has been achieved without no, um, Darren and Larissa being here. Yeah, um, tell me this. Um, you took over an existing business which um, 
anyone knows that's attempted this is a big difference from starting from scratch. And you've had your you've had Daryl with you, who's been a dairy farmer. Could you conceive now of starting out on your own, ground zero, being a chef, saying I'm going to be a dairy farmer with 16 cows and pulling it off, or would it just be too tough? I mean, I know it would be tougher. I'm asking on behalf of listeners who are saying, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Could you pull it off, or do you just not have the knowledge? Uh, oh, you'd have to have, I think, the, the all your ducks line up in a row. So the only reason, the reasons that it worked was Daryl's knowledge, because mm. I've relied on that um, mm. for animal husbandry and mm. um, milking skills and, and even just general farming skills. Like, there's just so much knowledge uh based knowledge to to sort of um pull on like mechanics i'm not a mechanic i'm a chef you know mm. that thing takes oil really does it mm. oh okay um you know there's mm. there's those sorts of things that I'd, I'd, i would i would have sunk um so it d- depend on their base knowledge and then their support their their family support or community support as to whether you could find those um that experience that you're lacking in the people around you that might be able to pull in and like when you start something or when you um go down that pathway if if you just do it just by yourself it's going to be real real tough but if you start talking to your community um you'll find the answers mm. people will come and help um and that's something that we've I've found here when I've had other issues in and around the farm whether it be I'm needing a cow or I've got this problem with a cow or um something like that I'll talk to to the local community the local farmers and and people are really really generous with their time um and and help but yeah i mean yeah i, I think you know a business like this you, you you need to have that community support but you know if you're obviously going into farming you need to have some experience as well because you know animals require our care so you can't just go in there and think that you know you you know how to deal with them without actually having some experience so you couldn't do raw milk unless you were, i think coming from some form of dairy farming background um and then um uh, again, I think that community support is a big part of it um, as well on top of it. Do you have to call a vet? Yep. So that's a tricky thing, right? Because you've got to know, uh, Mabel's sick, I'll need help. Whereas I wouldn't know that Mabel was sick or no. I wouldn't know whether how sick she is. And we my point, I guess, is is that we devalue that experience everywhere we look. Yeah, right? yeah. We 100%. don't value. We don't. You get it. You decide to cook some nice meal, and you get the recipe, and it's incredibly hard, and you make a hash of it, and the chef just whips it up because they've done it day in and day out. You look at a dairy farmer, and the dairy farmer can fix a motor, uh, look across at a cow. Uh, know that needs help. They can look across the pasture, know that it's lacking something. All of that stuff is just second nature to them, but to everyone else, it's not. Well, it's it's one of those funny things. Before we started milking cows here, I'd drive through the countryside and you'd look at everything, you'd look at it along, and you might think, oh, you know, those are nice autumn colours or um, 
or there's a lot of cows in that paddock or something like that. Now, when I go driving through the country, I'm looking at the grass going, oh, they've got grass. I get yeah. grass envy, you know, yeah. or or I'll, the opposite. I might be like, oh, they've got no grass or, wow, those cows haven't got anything to eat. Like, what's going on there? And and so your, your perceptions do change based on your experience and, and what you're into, I suppose. You know, like if you're an accountant or a financier or something, you know, that's that's, that's your expertise your and you can see the numbers off at a glance. Well, so one it's, thing it's, I've got to tell you, Dale, you'll laugh at this. I built a farm fence, and I'd always wanted to build a farm fence. I don't know why. It just I always looked at farm fences and thought they were amazing, mm-hmm. uh, properly tensed and all the rest of it. And I had an opportunity. I wanted to build a nursery, and I thought, I'm going to actually build this farm fence properly. And I literally spent hours of research <laughs> learning how to build a fence. And, uh, and Gold Pine have great videos and YouTube, and I got it all worked out. And um, there were two aspects to it. One is it was a lot harder work than I had ever anticipated, you know, doing it by hand. And second of it, I made just about every mistake uh, known to mankind to build a fence. But, oh, boy, do I love my fence. And when, <laughs> I, see a f- when I see a fence now, because you have no idea what's under the ground holding those fences, you know, up and, and how, the, how the actual physics of a fence, that you, you'll, you'll appreciate this. When I put the dead man in for the corner post, they said to notch it. And I thought, oh, no, bugger, I haven't got time to notch it. I'll just sort of sit it in there. Because I imagined that the forces were pushing back and so I never notched it. And when I came along to tighten it, the post just popped up. <laughs> and and, and um, you think, ah, when they say notch it, there's a reason that you notch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to take the fence down and put it back up. But it was just a simple thing that a dairy farmer or a farmer just knows growing up on a farm. It's just second nature. And they couldn't even explain it to you, you know, because it's sort of obvious and here's me blundering around trying to build a simple fence. Um, I want to do a bigger one now because I've you know figured it out and I enjoyed it immensely. But just that's just one part of a farmer's part day, right? Yeah, yeah. I Fixing mean, I'm always fence. I'm always amazed when you go to the field days. You see those those young guys making those fences at speed. Yes, um, it's just amazing. And I was uh, you know I look at them thinking, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to have a fence made that fast? Yeah. And, um, good. <laughs> and that's what I I feel in today's world, we're sort of run by kids on computers who don't actually understand where the foods come from, where um, things are made, um, what goes into it. And then they have no respect for the people that are doing it, mm. if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. when I, I just quickly had to tell you an anecdote. When I was an MP, I had a guy come to see me, a student, and he wanted to see me and tell me why I was wrong about the free market and free enterprise and why we really need to live in communism. And uh, he came across, and I said, well, let's go and get a bite to eat. And um, so I bought him lunch, and we went into the 247 New Market, which had this amazing food hall, which still amazed me. Because we didn't have those when we were kids. You get Indian or curry or sushi, and it's all this amazing food for lunch. And we're sitting there, and I said, what would you like for lunch? Oh, yums and ahs, and ums and ahs, and ums and ahs. And then goes across and gets a Thai green curry and sits down. I say, oh, it's really good. And he says, now, I want to explain to you why the market doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Yes, sort of sitting there. You think, what do you think you'd be eating if you were in East Germany, circa 1980? Mm. You know, they have mm. no idea of where food comes from or the process that makes it. And you know, we have lost that with the industrialization of milk, because literally two generations ago, people were living in towns where they'd take a can and go to the farmer and buy some milk and some eggs. Mm. It just, and and now that's inconceivable and a tourist thing to be doing. (laughs) Yeah, well, that is interesting. Now we have cruise ships, you know, like the tours like I mentioned, um, and people are just amazed, you know, one, to taste raw milk, right, you can actually do that, um, and two, to actually go and pick a tomato off a plant or, di- or pull a carrot up and eat it on the spot, as it were. That, they just can't believe it. Now, is it a rude thing to ask? Tell me off if it is. Um, how do you profit from a tourist trip visit? Do you pay an entrance fee or how does that work? Yeah, they they pay a they pay a fee per person. Um, that's an arrangement with the tour group that come brings the tours to the farm. I see. So it's a tour company operating probably out of Tauranga. Yes, they pick up they pick up tourists from the ship and show them around Tauranga, and part of the trip is a visit to your place, to the good farm. That's the to one. the good yeah. farm. That's the, the <laughs> And how many do you get at a time? Uh, well, with that, that depends on how the uh, how many the the tour operators um, pick up. Um, we're, we're we're linked up with two different um, tour groups or tour operators, um, and one of them would just be one tour, potentially one tour a day over the season, um, and it could be from anywhere from I think it's twelve to sixty people on the on the tour. It just depends who books in. Um, and then the other tour group um, is a little bit less limited. Um, we did a couple of them at the end of last year. But that um, could grow too, right? Because a lot oh, of tourists yeah. come through Tauranga. And tell me, have you got plans to – you obviously got plans that you don't need to share with me about expanding what you're doing now. Have you got plans oh, to – We're happy to spend those because they're pretty oh, okay. Yeah. Tell us. Like, like this guy here is a, a, a top chef from Melbourne. You got to remember. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I have plans to build an outdoor kitchen, and people can do uh, raw food cooking class tours, if you like, in the evening. Fantastic. Um, they, yeah, with the top chef from Melbourne. So, you know, we can we can advertise it that way. So it'll it'll yeah. pull in some. Uh, <laughs> some Man, you're a good businessman. See, I was just looking at him at a nuisance son-in-law. But you're looking at your son-in-law's dollars into the business. You see, that's a, that's a I, I wouldn't quite put it that way, but I, I just say <laughs> using his passion and his skill. Yes. Um, and would you have a restaurant as well that you'd eat at as well as a demonstration? No, I don't think so. I think well, you wouldn't call it a restaurant because it would be an outdoor experience. So it would go okay. through the garden and then it would be an outdoor cook. It would be a small group. Imagine 10, 15 people yes. you know, doing a, a the full course, which might take two or three hours and, and sort of like, you know, twilight evening hours in summer. Um, so, yeah, it, it would be an outdoor eating experience, which, which would all be part of it. Yeah, And you wouldn't be – you'd be doing back 120 hours and not seeing your kids again. No, no, my kids, my kids will be probably running around serving the tables by then. Yeah. <laughs> and what else have you got planned, Andrew? 
Um, I mean, there's oh, Daryl, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. We're expanding on the, you know, the tours like the the community groups, like the schools and whatnot. And so part of that might be um, they've done a lot, quite a lot of planting of native uh, plants. So we'd like possibly to get into like a bit of a native tour, uh, like a native walk as part of a, an experience for the kids where they walk through native sections and learn about different things up through to sort of like an old orchard, which we call the ancient orchards. They can learn about old fruits, you know, the heritage mm-hmm. fruits and whatnot, and so where the chooks and sheeps are. So they get sort of a native animal experience. Um, so um, there's that idea. And then at the moment we're building a few, you'll see on Country Calendar, we're building a new shop. Um, and um, so we'd like to, uh, part of that will be to serve coffee um, out of a window and create a playground for mums and kids to come out um, as a bit of a destination as well. Um, so um, it won't be a cafe as such, it'll just be a, a coffee window as part of our retail outlet. Um, so people will be able to get raw milk coffee, I guess. Well, and what about expanding elsewhere in the country? Mm. No, I don't think so. I, like, <laughs> I think you'd, you'd lose you'd lose your um, uniqueness and your your what makes us mm. special. Um, I was just being a bit selfish because I can't readily access yeah, well, well, well for, for those that are not in this area, um, you know, I was just in touch with a, um, a, per, a lady who's starting up in Silverdale and not too different distance future. So what I said to her, I said, well, look, I'll help where yes. I can. So it's about helping one another and, and building a community of raw milk suppliers so that different mm. people, because we, we only just got an email yesterday from someone in Wellington saying, I know it's probably out of the question, but is there any way I can get raw milk from you? <laughs> so, yeah, so no, well, I feel you know, the same. And yeah. it must be wonderful for your grandkids. Darryl, oh, absolutely. Grandkids um, running you know, around the farm. Totally. I, I was an Auckland banker um, prior to farming, and um, I was working in Queen Street, and I wanted to bring the kids up, my children up, in the rural uh, in a rural environment. So I went, I went farming just for that reason, just to bring the kids up rurally. And so now to see the grandkids um, having that same opportunity to live in a rural environment, you know, um, and, and grow up that way is pretty cool. I don't know if you want to comment on this because you don't want to upset the industry, but you can be delicate. You can pre-formulate an answer. Do you find it a little odd and disturbing that we take this beautiful, wonderful product, milk, that is a living, perfect, nature's best food ever, and treat it industrially, kill it, suck all the water out, and end up with a bit of powder, which we export. It just doesn't add up to me. No. but I mean, I guess I just wouldn't. Um, only pick on if you like. If you looked at it that way, you just don't pick on the dairy industry because um, they are only one of the food sources within the industrialized nations that destroy yes. food. You know, um, if you look at um, large uh, vegetable grown um, processes, yes. they grow vegetables in dead dirt, feeding them um, yes. NPK. Yes. And that's how the vegetables grow. So that's no different, you know. Like, um, so I don't. I think you know. You probably need to. Um, it's the whole it and, the whole industrialized farming yeah. approach of yeah. really mass produced food. 50, yeah. 60 years. Yeah, but again, if you looked at the individual farmers, Rodney, you know they're wonderful people. That they, they are farming because yes, they love I get farming. That. They love their cows. They love their milk. So they're great. They're doing a fantastic job, and they need to continue doing what they're doing. It's actually those that are above them wanting to industrialize the whole process and control it all. 
you know. Um, From Queen Street, where you were. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, no, um, <laughs> it, it is, it, it, and, but I would imagine your soil is, would your soil be the same as an ordinary dairy farmer's soil who's got a lot of cows and is having to produce a lot of milk to be economic? Whereas you've got well, sixteen cows and you can rest the soil and move it around, you've got a, a mixture of crops. Does do you notice a difference in your soil? Well, I mean, one of the differences, you know, there are a lot of dairy farmers that will be doing what we do on our dairy farm as well. Like we don't use any processed uh, fertilizers, okay. so 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 the only fertilizer we use is natural rock. Um, so um, there's a lot of dairy farmers in that in that same. Um, not all, obviously, you know, but a, a large percentage. That Tell me the find. logic of that quickly. Natural um, fertilizer. Well, obviously, if, if you if you're using as, um, um, non non natural rocks, they are always processed through acid, essentially. So you're you're breaking down what is a natural nutrient, you know, and you're producing something else like a phos, you know, like the the phosphate you might put on, or, <laughs> or the superphosphate. So so you can you know, the plants then can can grow like get a turbo boost to grow, but you're not feeding your soil. So everything we do is about feeding the soil, so the soil can produce a more healthy plant. So the healthy plant can be eaten by obviously by the animal and produce a more healthy product. And so, yep, you could grow more grass than we grow if you actually turbocharge it, but we're in it for the long haul wanting to improve our soil. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do, both in the market garden and on the farm, is about soil biology, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it's all a work in progress. It's all, uh, I mean, when, you try, when you're trying to change soil um, naturally, it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So part of that is the plant species. You no, know, we we plant multi-species plants so that we can have deep rooting plants and you know shallow rooting plants and plants that have different functions and different nutrient values and whatnot. But it, you know, to be fair, it hasn't been easy here because we are on a little hilly block. Um, we have a where our prominent species is kaiku, um, which is a you know brought this is a plant that was brought into New Zealand, so it's like an invasive species as, as it were. But it's now pretty much right through Northland and you know large chunks of the Bay of Plenty and further and you know some other areas. So you know we have our own issues to deal with, but you know there's good and bad and species like that because it does very well over summer, but you know we we struggle a lot over winter because it doesn't grow in winter. Um, whereas if you go to the Waikato, you'll see the ryegrass growing really well in winter. Mm. Um, you know, so th there's a whole combination of stuff, but a lot of dairy farmers or a number of dairy farmers is probably a fair way of saying it, Rodney. They're wanting to do that same process as well. Right. So you could you could be in a commercial herd, if you want to call it that, serving a, a, a as a wholesaler, but still actually looking after your soils. Mm. Well, what a wonderful thing you're doing. And I mean, it must be an exciting life. You've got the grandkids, you've got three generations, um, you've got the community, you've got your customers uh, to chat to. But more particularly, it's not a routine job because you're constantly facing these challenges of um, cows, grass, soil that you're learning about the whole time. It's like an education every day. Yeah, and that's that's pretty much the farming life. If you talk to most farmers, that you know, uh, we live in a, in a an environment which is continually changing. So we're you know we're trying to change and, and adapt, and you know um, we've had a wet winter and a wet summer last summer, which is wet summer was wonderful for growth, 
but you know who knows this summer could be a dry summer so you're yeah. you're forever learning adapting changing but you know our customers on, on the other hand they turn up and expect this you know a bottle of milk to be well yeah the dispenser to be available to dispense a bottle of milk for them yeah. um so you know one of our jobs is to make sure that we can keep consistency here so you know that's something we work hard at to try and keep a consistent you know volume and product and 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 whatnot and then you know grow like some of the things we talked about grow the destination so that people really love mm. coming to the, the good farm and part of that is about promoting farming you know promoting mm. uh, whole foods healthy foods raw foods um and farming in general have you thought of cheese yes <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah yeah i mean I've, I've mucked around with a bit of cheese um just for the house um and it, it can make i mean I, I, i've made fresh cheese so mozzarella mozzarella ricotta uh, feta halloumi um paneer at all and it makes fantastic cheese oh yeah um and we've we've talked about putting a little cheese facility in at the farm as well um to utilize the milk that may be excess um so we're, we're only allowed to sell our raw milk for 30 hours um so anything that isn't sold within 30 hours i see needs to yeah. be um discarded yes. um essentially um, so we we feed our calves. We leave um, raise all our calves as um, beef calves. Yeah. So they're a beef dairy cross. I'll raise them, hand raise them to about twelve weeks, and then I try and find lifestylers that want a little beefy on their um, on their block. You know, a friendly animal that'll come when you kind of call out to it. Um, and so that's where our excess milk goes at the moment. But we've talked about. Um, yeah, bringing in a, a, a cheese facility to utilise that. Um, however, um, you know, especially at the moment, we're we're pretty much selling nearly all of the milk as and it is. Busy. And yeah, and you look so, at the day and you say, "Where am I going to fit my cheese making in?" Yeah. Well, you're <laughs> yeah. on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. I promise you, if you're anywhere near the Bay of Plenty, take a trip over to the Good Farm. Uh, you'll meet a wonderful family. But you, if you've never drinking raw milk, you're in for something truly wonderful because you can't believe that what we buy in the supermarket is milk after you've tasted raw milk. You can actually taste the sunshine and the goodness. And man, oh man, I just miss my, miss my raw milk. It's fabulous talking to you, Lauren and Daryl. Uh, it's been wonderful. We wish you every success. Uh, maybe we'll come back in six months or a year if you're up for it, and we'll talk about progress. I just think what you're doing is fabulous in a family way, in a community way, in a food production way, and that you are leading uh, and providing an, ex an exemplar for what a lot of people could be doing um, for the good of us all. So thank you for that. Thank you so very much for taking the time to come on. Nice. Thank you, Rodney. Pleasure. And if you go to the Good Farm listeners, uh, the webpage, you'll see about the farm, you'll see about the business, and you'll be able to click on and watch the country calendar show. And um, it doesn't quite have the reach that we have, uh, but you get pictures. So uh, that's the advantage of it. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Send us a text, 2057. Uh, email me, inbox at reallycheck.radio. If you want to pass a note on to Lauren and Daryl, uh, send it through me and they will get it. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. 
Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.